book of Joshua, the first chapter, nothing new there. But if you go to the book of Joshua, Old Testament, I invite you to listen to these words. I'm reading from the New King James Version, first chapter of Joshua. Let's start with verse 6. If everybody have a say, amen. If you don't say, wait, pastor. I hear you, I hear you. Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter. Amen. First chapter of Joshua, Old Testament. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people... You shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand, to the left hand, that you may prosper whatever you do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You may be seated. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to talk, I want to tag this text by talking from the subject, now that we are here. Now that we are here. The narrative opens with the phrase, after the death of Moses. Uh, this is the writer's way of deparcating or, or delineating, if you will, the end of the period of Moses. I, I know you understand this. When the law was laid down and the commencement of the period of Joshua, the opening session emphasizes that Joshua is the successor of Moses. It explicitly says that, and as you know, Yahweh was with Moses, and Yahweh will be with Joshua. What Yahweh commanded Moses, Joshua's commanded to do also. Are y'all here? I just want to set this up. All as tribes obeyed Moses, all the tribes were supposed to obey Joshua. Obey Joshua. Many of us uh, would have, who have children or even can remember when you were a child can recall certain events that took place in your life. And I often, I often remember how we as children would travel with mom and daddy. Major time in our life, we would travel and we would travel by cars. Now, you are too young to remember, but just follow me. Uh, because mama would get up early in the morning and fry that fried chicken. 
She would get there, and after that, she would make the, uh, the macaroni salad. And See, y'all too young to remember macaroni salad, and, and Daddy would go to the store and pack the, the cooler with, with, with sodas and juice, and we would get in that car, and we would be on our way somewhere. And unlike many of you, we did not stop at Chick-fil-A. We didn't stop at Pandora. Oh, uh, uh, Pan. See, I don't go there. So I don't know the name of. But we stopped at the famous roadside. And when we got to the roadside, Mama would pull the chicken out. Daddy would get in the back seat and pull the cans out, and we would eat like something crazy. And then while we're eating, Daddy and Mama would begin to tell us about their childhood experiences and let us realize how blessed we were because we were children that did not always act like we were blessed. Do I have any company here? And we would refresh ourselves and after refreshing ourselves, we would get back in the car and start rolling on. And as we rolled on, I, I, I recall, if you ever seen that epic movie, with the renowned actor of uh, Ice Cube and Neil Long. Are we there yet? <laughs> that was a portrayal of me. I was one of three, but I was always the one, the youngest, that would ask my father, not are we there yet, but I would ask him how long it's going to take before we get there. I would ask my daddy that, and my father would come back with a good question. Spencer, what you going to do? When we get there, by now my brothers are kicking me, hoping I answer the right thing because they don't want me to mess up what they had planned. So they're kicking me not to answer any questions. But because I stalled, my daddy would come in and say, well, since you don't know, I'm going to tell you what y'all are going to do when you get there. That's where we are in our text. Here we are in our text, Israel been wondering for 40 years. They've been out there for 40 years wondering, and now they are, they are almost where they've been trying to go. They were there and, and on the brink of a long-awaited experience, walking to the promise that was not promised to them, but to their fathers. They were being the recipients of their mother and father's prayer answered by God. They were on the periphery of what God had in store for them. And church family, I hope we are here to celebrate what God has been doing for you. You just ain't show up in here just to show up. I hope that you came here to celebrate tonight about what God is leading you to another year that he has been with this congregation. So yes, we are here tonight. And the question comes now now that we are here, what are we going to do with our lives now that we are here? Yeah, I'm not referring to the physicality of it being present in this place. I'm talking about the fact that since God woke you up this morning, have you made up in your mind that now that I'm here, I'm going to go forward to fulfill the mandate of God on my life? Here we are. Here we are, God is telling Joshua. He said, Joshua, now that you're here, you are in charge of these people. Don't get me wrong now. You might think, well, what's so bad about that? We're talking about almost 2 million people. 
Now, y'all know it's hard for us to pass, uh, to, to lead some uh, suntan folk the way we do now. But he had two million suntan folk. I get no amens on that. Now that we're here, a time when America's in a state of alternate realities, a time when truth has become dishonesty, morality has turned into a dishonorable favor. Now that we're here, a time to cry loud because so, society has become so dull of hearing when lies become truths and truth become lies. Now that we are here, a time when violence is becoming commonplace, a time when you can, you can get shot playing a video game. Now that we are here, a time when you can get shot 20 times in your grandmother's backyard and you only would shoot a deer one time to put them down for a count. Now that we are here, what are we going to do now that we are here? I still haven't picked that up yet. I'm talking about a time when corruption is fashionable and Congress is stricken with laryngitis. Now that we are here, it has been said that we must be in, internally just to be externally strong. Let me say that again. We got to be internally just to be externally strong. And I want to speak to you tonight just to help us know that now that we are here, God got expectations for everybody. He woke up this morning. He didn't wake you up just to wake you up. He woke you up because there's an expectation on your life. God is expecting something out of you. I'm about to preach like I feel. God has come and you ain't wake up by accident. You're no mistake. You are here on purpose. I dare you tap your neighbor and say, I'm here on purpose. It's okay to give you three things and I'll be out of your way. Because I can get I can help myself preach because I'm starting to feel good already. I'm gonna give you three things and I'll be out of your way. Here's number one. Number one, you gotta know that now we are here. We need to be resilient and audacious now that we are here we need to be resilient and audacious i'm here the book the bible says only be strong and very courageous is that in your bible and listen to this he didn't say it one time he didn't say it two times he said it three times joshua didn't i tell you be strong and courageous, right in the book. I remember uh, when my daddy really wanted me to hear something. He said, now, did you hear me? I'm going to tell you one more time. Because this is really important. So God must have needed Joshua to hear this. So resilient is the quality of being able to adapt to stressful lives. Changes bouncing back and from hardship. Resilience is a response to tragedy, crisis, and other life-altering changes that allows us to move on despite of the losses. Showing resilience does not mean that every pers a person is unaffected. It may affect you or uncaring about life changes. That doesn't mean that's you. Resilience is a human heart that has the ability 
that have the ability to suffer greatly, watch this, and grow from it. Audacious. It's showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. So God is saying here, I'm going to prove it to you in the Bible, that he wants us to be resilient and audacious. Yeah, yeah, he says, look at the context. In chapter 1, we see that Moses died. Joshua, he's dead. He had to know that he was dead. And that you have to rely on the God that Moses relied on. Because he's dead now. It's you and me. He says, it's you and me. And look what he says. And now that we're here, it's your turn, Joshua, to lead these people. No small matter, good size. He's leading them. And he says, be strong and of good courage. Listen to his words. And he says, I'm going to lead you into a land that I promise you. Did y'all pick that up? He said, I'm going to lead you to a land that I promise you. So let me just stop here and add this in here. That if God ever promised you something, you can give him a shot right now. Because God's going to give you what he promised. God's going to give you everything he promised. And that's what he wanted Joshua to know. That I'm not a man that I should lie. But if I put my name and my word on it, you can count that God is going to make a way out of no way because my name is on it. The Bible said God looked for a name to swear by and couldn't find any name on earth. So God said, I swear by myself because there's nothing hiding me that I will keep my promise. And I thought I had somebody here that already experienced that God will keep the promise that he made. So here it is, he says, he says, why? Why are you telling me three times to be strong and to be courageous? And so I see when you look through the chapters in the Bible, he's telling Joshua, he's saying that because I know that verses 1 through 12, one of the things that's going to be in there that you're going to land, the land will be conquered. But there's going to be some things you're going to go through, through chapters 1 and 12. But you will conquer the land. Then he goes through the central campaign, and that's through chapter 6 and 9. And he says, one of which, that you will lose and not be able to capture Ahi. Because somebody has stolen some accursed stuff. And so you're going to face that, Joshua. But I need you to be strong. Then he says, the southern campaign. In the northern campaign, in chapters 10 and 12, you're going to find that there's going to be a battle, and I'm going to hold the sun back. And I'm going to allow the sky to stay lit for a long time. But you got to be strong and know I'm going to make a way for you. Then he goes on and says, I know in chapter 13 and 21, stay here, I'm going somewhere. He's saying that the land is going to be divided. And I need you to be strong and courageous to do what I commanded you to do. Then he said in chapter 22 and 24, you're going to have to get your last messages prepared that you're going to be leaving this earth. But I need you to prepare the people for what you're going to have to say. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because you got to understand that you, your chapter 2 right now, that you may be filled with joy, but there might be a chapter 3 in your life that your joy is going to turn to sadness. And you better be strong and courageous. You might be in your chapter 7. 
and all of a sudden your health is well in chapter 7. But there's a chapter 9 in your life where sickness will come out of the blue. Didn't know how that sickness came in your body. But you got to be strong and courageous to be able to face what God has ahead for you. There may be a chapter 10 where your money is resourceful and everything is going well. But there's going to be a chapter 14 in your life when your money starts acting funny. When you don't have a dime, you can't pay Paul or Peter. And you're wondering how you're going to make it. You got to be strong and courageous. You got to be resilient. You got to be, you got to be audacious to handle your life. And God is saying, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in your next chapter. But I need somebody to be resilient, to be audacious, to know that I'm going to get you out. If I help you when you had money, I'm the same God that'll help you when you're broke. If I help you when you are well, I'm the same God that will help you when you're sick. When I help you when you had friends, I'm the same God that will help you when you have no friend. I'm the same yesterday, today. And forever, is there anybody, somebody, everybody that can thank God he's the same? He said, I need you to be resilient. I need you to be audacious. Resilient, like the palm trees of Florida. Look at what happened to Florida. Everything is broken up except the palm tree. Every house is broken down. But the palm tree says, I'm still standing. Because the palm tree gets knocked back. But he says, is that the best you have, devil? I'm rooted. I'm planted in the name of God. And the reason why they broke, because they didn't bend. But I learned how to bend. Because God's going to bring me back. I learned how to bend in little great little Zion. How do you bend? I bend. Father, I stretch my hand. I bend. When trouble comes, make a way out of no way. And when I get back up, I give him praise. Is there a thank you, Jesus, in this house? All right. I'm almost done. But I'm Baptist, so I can say that about nine more times. He says, Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord who created the ends of the earth, is neither faint nor is weary? He understands the unsuffering. He gives power to the weak. And he gives power. To them that have no mind, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But I thank God that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I see by five hands, you got your strength renewed. Is there anybody else here? You know that God will renew your strength. Can you give God a little praise right now? 
Okay, that's number one. You got to be resilient and audacious. Here's something else that I hear, see in the text like Murphy. We must be navigationally sensitive. We must be navigationally sensitive. Did y'all hear what I just said? Navigationally sensitive. I'm in the book. The word says that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Watch this. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You got to be navigationally sensitive that you may prosper in whatever you go. Okay, I'm going to lose my amens now. Uh, I have a, a Waze system. I use it on my phone. Any, anybody know? And, and so when I'm going somewhere I've never been, I'm very sensitive, especially when I got a group of people in my car who never been anywhere. But you know, everybody know where they're going. And I say, be quiet, because Waze is talking. And if they don't shut up, I say, that's all right. I can see where he's telling me to go. But I'm very sensitive, navigationally, to what Waze is telling me. Because Waze has the ability to see further than those who are in the car. I mean, Waze is telling me stuff down, down miles traffic ahead. Alternative route. Now, these niggas in the car can't tell me that. And so I'm navigationally sensitive to what Waze is telling me. And so now that we're here, Great Lausanne, you got to be sensitive to the navigational system that God has set up. God has set up a ways by the name of James Murphy. That's your ways. And when he speaks, God is speaking to you about which way to go. And you get in trouble when you say, I don't know. I wonder. Well, I don't know if I see that. Well, you can go ahead and get directed to a dead end street if you want to. But God has given you a ways by the name of James Murphy. You got to be sensitive to the navigational experience that God has given you every Sunday. I tell you, I'm going to lose my amens. You can't get here without the word of God. You can't go anywhere without the word of God. And I, you need to be like a horse with blinders. That all you see is nothing to your left and not to your right. But you look towards the hills from which comes your help. Because all your help, it comes from the Lord. And God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, I need you to listen to me clearly. Because I'm going to tell you and you only where I want my children to go. And I need them to know that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be there with you. And so he says to us, we got to be navigationally sensitive. Look at your neighbor and say, be navigationally sensitive. I'm telling you, God is going to take you places where you've never been before. Is there anybody here that want to go to greater heights? You got to be sensitive to where God is telling you to go. He's letting Joshua know that when Moses took the people, you're going to go further. You're going to go better. 
because I'm taking you to places that you've never been before. But I need you to be bodacious. I need you to be navigationally sensitive in where I'm going to tell you to go. But don't turn right and don't turn left, but go everywhere that my eyes and my hand and my mouth is directing you to go. That's what he's saying. He's going to take you places where your eyes have not seen, where your ears have not heard. He's going to take you places where Jesus is only going to lead you. And when I was a little boy, they said, let Jesus lead you. Let Jesus lead you all the way. That's what your Bible says. You got to be navigationally sensitive. And so I thank God that I've learned in my life at 58 years of age to be navigationally sensitive to the word of God. Do I have any help in here? When the doctors tell you about that disease that you have on your body, you be navigationally sensitive and you know that Jehovah Rapha, my healer, is telling me to put my head up and clap my hands because healing comes not from the doctor, but it comes from God. The God, the doctors can see something, but is there anybody here that know that God can turn it around? You got to be navigationally sensitive when you are sad. You got to know the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not worried about how bad off I am. When I get up in here, I'm going to express myself. I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to open my mouth because joy is in the house of God. When I get to the house of God, I'm hoping that somebody that feel like I feel, somebody that know that I know that God is a way maker, God is a company keeper, God can get it done. And there's going to be somebody on my road that's going to praise like I praise. Is there anybody here? Thank God that he can still get it done. I dare you to clap your hands. I dare you to give God glory because God will. Yes, he will. I praise God in the sanctuary because it tells me joyful noise ought to be in the sanctuary. When you come to God's house, you ought to be able to feel it. When you get to the door, there's something going on in the inside. Let me help you understand something. When I was in the world, and I know I'm the only sinner in here. I used to go to the house parties. It wasn't clubs. They were house parties. Sometimes I walk in the house party, and I will just sit on the wall, just looking, just sitting. Then Michael Jackson would come on. Boom, 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 boom. I said, oh, that's Billy Jean. That's Billy Jean. And so I was getting there and saying, well, since I'm here, I might as well have a good time. I've come to tell somebody tonight, you could have been home, but since you are here tonight, you might as well have a good time. You might as well let go and let God. You ought to shout to God, since you are here, you could have stayed home. Just to sit back and keep your mouth shut. But since you are here, everybody, somebody, ought to open up your mouth and give God glory. You won't make anybody feel bad. I said give him glory since you are here.
Goodbye, Great Lazine. May the Lord bless you real good. It's time for my wife and I to go home. But I bless you for allowing us to come. I'm in my seat when I tell you. But I'm saying goodbye now, so I won't forget to tell you. But there's one more thing I got to give you. You got to be resilient and audacious. You got to be able to know that in the speak of, in the midst of a storm, you are a survivor. You can make it. You can be bold. But you got to be navigationally sensitive. You got to listen to what Dr. Murphy is instructing from this pulpit. And don't look to the right. Don't talk to your neighbor about whether you disagree. No, be sensitive. Because this is the only mechanism that God has for you. I got two amens. The pulpit is God's ways. Now, if the man or woman of God abuse it, it's on them. And God will get them. You can have whatever church man you want, but God's going to get them. But when you got one who loves God, you got to be sensitive to the navigation. Here's my last thing. And I'm going home on this. That's six times, so here it is. We must be intentional. Say intentional. Look what the word says. I'm in the book. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you with whatever you go. You must be intentional. I tell moms all the time that we got to be intentional. That everything we do, we must do it intentionally. You know, I, I, I already had my mind made up before I came to Great Little Zion. How I was going to act. I knew my mind was already made up that I was going to be happy when I got in the house of God. And I know how I act when I get happy. I just get happy all by myself. I can be happy without you saying amen because I feel something in my spirit. And I'm happy about it. I feel like I'm giving birth now. And every woman who ever gave birth know you're happy when you see that baby about to come out. And I'm on my last point, but I believe the baby's about to give birth. And I need y'all to help me push to get this baby out. You got to be intentional. You got to have your mind made up. And everything we do in life, we do it intentionally. You go to work intentionally. You may not want it, but you go intentionally. You go there because you know you got to work in order to get paid. When you wake up in the morning, you eat intentionally. You have your mind made up that I'm going to eat today. And you do it intentionally. You put your clothes on intentionally. You get your mind wrapped up around it and you put your clothes on without being told you do that intentionally. And God is telling us tonight that I need you to be intentional about not allowing the book of the law to depart out of your mouth. You got to do that intentionally. You got to reduce some of your TV time and open up some God time to be able to read the word of God intentionally. Isn't it weird that the only time you get sleepy is when you open up this book to read the word of God. You kept your eyes open for 
four or five years going through all that scandal. But I told you, you ought to reduce your scandal because there's a whole lot of scandal that you can read in this Bible and get entertained from the word of God. He says, do it intentionally. Tell your neighbor intentionally. And so ways helps me to obey the law intentionally. Now, I may be on Princeton Parkway, and I may be doing something, something. And, uh, and so Wade says, police ahead. Wade's helped me to intentionally lift up that bridge. <laughs> and I drive, because Wade said, you better watch out. But let me help y'all understand. The Holy Ghost does the same thing. He tells you before you're about to do it, you better not do it. You better not go left. You better not go right. And when we get in trouble, because we grieve the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit won't guide you wrong? The Holy Spirit will lead you to agree to pastors. Man, I thought that was going to get a great amen too. Resilient. Audacious. Navigationally sensitive. Intentional in your doings. Now mm, that we are here, we are here because that's what Jesus did. He was, he was uh, uh, audacious and Jesus was resilient. He was navigationally sensitive and he did it intentionally. Can I get some help here? Come on, Keith, let's try to ride this thing home. It was Jesus. He was resilient because my Bible says that when he was in Gethsemane, it got hot for him and he wanted to not go. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to be able to get the job done because my father told me that there's another road to travel. Jesus was. He was he was bodacious. He was bodacious. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down and I pick it up. I'm dying on my own terms because I'm here to die for this world. He did it bodaciously. He did it intentionally. He was navigationally sensitive. I'm in your book because the Bible says, I've come down from heaven, not to be my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. I'm going where ever God leads me. Is there anybody here? You thank God that he goes where he goes. If he stopped by your house, you ought to thank God that he did it on purpose. He saved you on purpose. He delivered you on purpose. And I'm glad that he saved me on purpose. He did it on his own. Your Bible says that now <laughs> that we're here, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is there anybody here that tried my God? Isn't he good? Isn't he all right? Your Bible says the Lord is good and faithful to all generations. He was faithful to Big Mama. He was faithful to my mama. He was faithful to my daughter's mama. He was faithful to me. 
going to be faithful to my kids, faithful to their kids, through all generations. Aren't you glad you got a God that is faithful? And get this, he is faithful. Because mm. you ain't going to say amen. Even though we got some proclivities. Let's see how quiet it is. He is faithful. Even though we got some proclivities. Okay. He's faithful. Even though we, wait, we mess up sometimes. He's faithful. Even though we lie sometimes. He's faithful. Even though we make the wrong turn sometimes. He's faithful. And if you know that you messed up sometimes, but God still woke you up, I need the real church to give God glory that despite what I've done, he still is faithful. He woke me up. He gave me another chance. And I've come to bless his name for what good God has done. 128 years. Somebody ought to bless his name that I'm in this house. I should have been dead. I should have been cut off. But the Lord kept me another year. And I'm glad, so glad, that the Lord being good, somebody ought to remember where you were and where you are now and just open up your mouth and say, thank you, Lord, for being that good. I declare that I bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall be in my mouth all the time. That everything, that everything, let everything, let everything, every white thing, every black thing, every tall thing, every little thing, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory to your name. He's good. He's good. Help me. Somebody put your hands together and bless him. Let me draw your attention this morning to 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to lift up primarily verse 43. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. As we do in honor of the reading of God's word, let us stand when you have found it, that we might both hear and read the word of the Lord together. 1 Kings Chapter 18 and verse 43. When you have found it, say amen. amen. If you're still looking for it, tell me, hold up. Okay, I'm holding up for you. I'm holding up for you. All right. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. And Elijah said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing there. And he said to him again, go back seven times. Amen. You may be seated.
some weeks, perhaps even a month or more ago when we were introduced to this Tishbite prophet named Elijah, we originally began by saying that his assignment is marred by diverse conditions to which as a prophet, he is to settle within and to operate. He was chosen to challenge the politics of his context, which would have meant confronting Ahab the king, who was recognized in the scripture as being one who did evil in the sight of the Lord. His second challenge was to operate within the profession to which he's called, which is to be a prophet. Being a prophet was not an easy job because that meant he had to say what people did not want to hear and he had to confront political power in which was a dangerous business. Third problem he had was that he had to experience in his assignment diverse pressures. His first pressure was to pronounce over Israel that it would not reign for the next three years. Then he had to experience the pressure of being pursued by Ahab by way of death. Then he had to handle the pressure as we get to this 1 Kings chapter 18 of finally meeting Ahab face to face again and to challenge him in this space called Mount Carmel. He meets him there at the top of the mountain and he challenges him with his 450 prophets to suggest that let's settle the case of who is indeed God. You say that Baal is your God and he controls the rain. I say that Jehovah Yahweh is my God and that he controls the rain. They meet at Mount Carmel and Elijah is convinced that God is on his side so he lets the prophets of Baal go first in preparing an altar and placing a sacrifice there but saying unto them, neither of us in our preparation of the altar will put fire under the altar. Yeah. We will not put fire because our prayer life will determine that the God who is God will answer by fire. When the prophets of Baal began to cry out to their God, nothing happened. Elijah stands and begins to taunt them about the absence of their God. Then Elijah decides that enough is enough. The prophets of Baal are overwhelmingly frustrated that they get no answer from their God. And Elijah makes it clear that now is the time for me to show that my God not only sent me on this assignment, but that God will confirm that I am indeed his prophet and that my word speaks life. Long story short, Elijah prays and calls down God and God answers by fire. Elijah is confirmed that God is God and even Ahab is now convinced that his belief was in the wrong God. 
fast forward, I won't tell you about it really now, but if you fast forward a chapter or two later, you'll discover that Ahab actually comes to a space of repentance just before he dies. But at least he come to realize that the God he once was serving and he turned an entire nation of Israel to serve was not the true God at all. We're here in chapter 18 in the closing verses because now the scene is shifting. Elijah has been victorious at Mount Carmel. He knows that he is indeed victorious to the point where you would think that Elijah now would be standing at Mount Carmel with great celebration. But instead of celebrating on what God has done for him, Elijah also knows that there is much work yet to be done. Elijah realizes that now I have preached to two groups of people on this mountain. The first group is to Israel to remind them that you ought to be celebrating that God who could have destroyed you from turning your back on God gave you a second chance. It's a reminder to us that every morning that we arise to the newness of a day, we should look unto the hills from whence come our help and cry out, Father, I thank you for another day's journey. We should embrace Jeremiah's idea in his writing of the Lamentations, morning by morning, new mercies I see. In the words of the psalmist, all that I needed, thy hands have provided for me. Great is your faithfulness. We ought to really, 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 really be shouting right now when we rewind in our minds what could have been was not and what should have been was not. We should be really celebrating that all that we have done, if we looked at the record and waited against the penalty to which we should have suffered, we know that we probably should not be here this day because God could have very well judged us, but this is the day that the Lord has made and we ought to be rejoicing and be glad in it. I was listening to us as we were had someone here telling us about we want to celebrate how this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but it's just Cancer Awareness Month period. And I watched our reaction and I said to myself, we react like this because we've never been a cancer patient. But I just think that if you had to walk down that lane of cancer in your body and you would want someone to be sympathetic to your situation, and as a result of that, when someone mentions about being grateful that they survived a journey of cancer you'd be on your feet thanking God that I'm just glad that God for whatever reason you didn't see fit for me to walk that path I thank you that I'm whole today and you haven't allowed that to come to my life but we ought to be to a space where we can stand and say you know what Lord even though it didn't happen to me I'm standing to celebrate my brother and my sister who survived this journey they could have lost their life in this journey but yet you bless them and let their moments roll on a little while longer you know you're blessed when you can stand and celebrate for somebody else when you can thank God for somebody 
else's blessing, when you can praise God for somebody else's breakthrough, when you can look at God and say, thank you, Lord, for opening up the door for them and for making a way out of no way for them. You know you favored when you can stand high and run around the room and shout and give glory for someone else's opportunity, how God opened up. And Elijah says to Israel, you ought to be grateful that you were not the ones who were destroyed at Mount Carmel, but that God gave you another chance. And then Elijah said, I got to preach to another group. I had to preach to Ahab and those who were following Ahab. Ahab come to realize that Elijah indeed had a ministry with God that could not be surpassed. He come to understand that Elijah had connection with God. He, fear, he realized that Elijah knew how to get a prayer through. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't know somebody, find you somebody that you know can get a prayer through. You're going to need somebody who can pray and call on God and God gives them an answer even when you may not be getting one I need a prayer partner who knows how to get a breakthrough and can help me get through the journey and Ahab found out that Elijah was that kind of man so Elijah shifts the scene Elijah begins to move and he says a very interesting way he goes says the text verse 40 he tells Israel to make sure you slay all the false prophets because whatever the enemy is in your life you need to get it out and when you get it out destroy it don't allow it to come back in your context again and then in verse 41 the text says that he reminds Ahab that it's time now to get yourself prepared for celebration. He tells him to get up and to eat and to drink and get ready for what's going to be a fulfillment of God's promise in verse 1 of chapter 18, says, Ahab, uh, says Elijah, because I hear, I hear the roar and I sense the storm is on the way. Remember, it hasn't been raining in Israel for the last three years. And Ahab knows that although he was blaming Elijah for the problem, he come to realize it really wasn't a problem. It was God's way of bringing Ahab to the point of recognizing you may think that you can go away from me and get away with it, but I have a way of drawing you back to me by way of my own judgment. And Ahab now knows that as uh, Elijah has made clear at Mount Carmel how God answers prayer. Elijah tells Ahab, get ready because God is about to do something great once again. And amazingly, Ahab follows the direction of Elijah again. Now remember, it is Ahab who is blaming Elijah for all of his problems. And yet, here's a second time when Elijah gives him direction. The first time Elijah told him, meet me at Mount Carmel and he actually did show up at Mount Carmel now the second time Elijah says get ready to go and celebrate because the rain is coming and you're going to realize that God is going to solve your situation and Elijah then moves to an interesting person his servant but watch the text. In verse 41, he tells him to get ready. But then in verse 42, Elijah 
goes back up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then now there's, there's one or two things that has happened here. Either Elijah has left Mount Carmel and come down to the bottom and now tells his servant to go back up or Elijah is already at the top or is going back to the top and tells his servant, I need you to go a little higher than where we are. Now, both of them have implications because the first one will eventually evolve itself in the process of the servant going back and forth. But the second may be interesting. It may be where Elijah says, we are already at Mount Carmel, but servant, I need for you to go a little higher, which means sometimes you have to take your worship. You have to take your prayer life. You have to take your Bible study. You have to take your spirituality to another level to see what God has in store. Watch what the servant says. As Elijah tells him to go back up and look, look at your Bible, does it not tell you that his servant goes up and begins to look around and he comes back and says to Elijah, there is Nothing. I don't see anything. Nothing is in the sky. And Elijah invites us as readers in the text this morning to consider this subject. What do you do when you see nothing? Well, you are in the middle of a crisis and you have been looking for hope and deliverance you've been looking for some manner in which you can grasp a hold to but you see nothing nothing and Elijah introduces us to a strategy to respond to what happens when you get to a context and there's nothing you can see in your situation Watch every strategy I give you is going to begin with the alphabet P. Listen to me closely now. It's going to begin with the alphabet P. First strategy Elijah says is that when you go up and you see nothing in the cloud of your life, no horizon of hope at all, don't panic but pray. Don't panic, but pray. Because panic will cause you to make an unreasonable decision. It will cause you to move yourself away from connecting with God. It will cause fear to rise up in you. And panic will cause you to believe that God does not have your best interests at hand. But Elijah says, whatever you do, pray. Watch what the text says. It says in verse 42 that Elijah, when he goes back up to Mount Carmel, he crouches himself down to the level of the earth and he plants his face between his knees. In other words, Elijah first humbles himself. He recognized that if you're going to get anything from God, humility might be a good place to start. 
he realizes that if I humble myself before God, the Bible is true, if you humble yourself in due season, God will exalt you. He'll bring you back up. And Elijah says, this moment calls for me to exercise humility and to pray. When he puts his face between his knees, it's a symbolic gesture that Elijah realizes that I need to concentrate on talking with God because I'm praying that my servant will eventually see that there's something out there but you got to pray first that God can begin to work in your circumstance and Elijah says sometimes when you pray and when you get off your knees you still won't see anything then Elijah says when that happens once again don't panic but shift to the next strategic mood which is to be patient. Watch what he says in verse 43. When Elijah's servant comes back and tells him that I don't see anything, Elijah says, go back. But in going back, Elijah is telling us through the text, be patient. Be patient because not all prayers are answered overnight. Be patient because not all prayers are answered in the next week. Be patient because not all prayers are answered within the month. Be patient because not all prayers are answered within the year. Because when God is working all things together for your good, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes and how God is making a way out of no way for you. So God says through Elijah, when you talk about praying unto me, wait, be patient because I'm working all things. And, and there's record in the word of God for that. There, there's historical record. In fact, if you think about it, in the book of Genesis, it took 40 days for the water to recede from Mount Ararat whenever the ark settled on top of the mountain. 40 days. Now, they've been locked in this thing, this, this ark, for 40 days, and now they've got to rest another 40 days for that water to recede. I want God to open it up right now, make a way right now, answer my prayer right now, and God is saying, it's not going to happen right now. Be patient. It took seven days Israel had to walk around the wall of Jericho every day for seven days and then on the seventh day walk around seven times and they had to walk through the week in silence and then on the seventh day when they completed the seventh round they were permitted to shout. Not until that happened did the walls come tumbling down patience because you know those who are walking around the wall were not completely silent someone had a grumble why is it taking us seven days why does God want us to go through all of this drama if he's a sovereign Lord with all power fix it right now and in the stillness of God's voice, through Joshua, be patient. God is not through. He's working all things. It, 
it took almost three years for God to bring Joseph out of a prison in Egypt in which he had done nothing to violate and to be incarcerated. And yet, through the midst of that, God was speaking silently to Joseph, be patient, be patient. And it took three and a half, three years, plus 30 other years, for his son to go to a cross called Calvary. Because God is working all things together for a good. Don't panic, but pray. Be patient. Watch Elijah. But also, when you're being patient, engage perseverance. Look what he tells his servant. Go back. And the Bible says he went back seven times. Now, can you imagine that either the servant is coming back down to the bottom of the hill and turning around and going back up, seeing nothing, turning around and coming back down, telling Elijah, and Elijah says, go back, turning around and going back up, seeing nothing. Six times, Elijah instructs him to go back, and six times, he sees nothing. Doesn't that sound like us when we are praying that God would do something and repeatedly God sends us back in the same direction over and over again. Here's another P. And it's because God, in doing what God does, has a process. You're going to have to travel through God's process to get to where you need to be because in the persevering God is strengthening and the servant is growing. That's the reason why he keeps going back after time after time. And you and I keep showing up in worship Sunday after Sunday. Even if we've been praying about something for the last year, but we've come to realize I got to be have perseverance in order to remember that God is working something out and I got to hang on to whatever God gives me. And if it's not much, it's that not much that keeps me going weekend and weekend. I don't know about you, but that's a shouting point right there for me. Because if all I have is one verse to hold on, I'm holding on to that one verse until a change comes in my life. And God's trying to tell somebody this morning, go through the process, engage in perseverance, be patient, and don't stop praying and watch me work this thing together. Because if you hang out and do that, here comes another P, God will help us in that persevering process because he's helping us to undergo the importance of seeing it through. Sometimes we want to quit because the situation is so dark and is so frustrating that we want to give up. We want to throw in the towel. And Elijah says, go back and go back again and again. Persevere. Because when you're willing to exercise perseverance, here's another P, God will position you to give birth in due season. So it's almost like the woman who's about to give birth, but the child 
has to turn around in the birth canal so that the child can be in position to come out. And she know, she knows that something is on the way because she goes through what's called labor pain. Y'all should be shouting right there. At least the sisters should help a brother out. The labor, it's hard, it's difficult, but there's the hope. Something is going to happen. It's on the way. What I've been carrying for the last nine months is about to come out, is about to make its grand entrance. And that child is saying, I've been here long enough and now I'm about to move. But first, I got a position. And some of us are out of position. That's why God won't bring us through victory because we are out of position. But when you persevere, there is something about getting in position that lets me know I'm coming out, I'm coming through, and I'm coming up. That's shouting point right there. Y'all should have shouted right there. I'm coming out because I know that if I wait on God, something's going to happen where the door will be open and I'll finally be able to walk through it like I need to. I'm coming up because weeping might endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning and I'm coming through because I know that God is making a way out of no way and if I hold on and hold out and persevere and get in position something has to happen in my journey but I don't see no rain there's no cloud there preacher there's nothing there I don't see anything go back and look again I don't see anything but says the text look at it in verse 44 that it came about on the seventh time that the servant went up and he saw something. Because when you persevere and when you position yourself, here comes another P, God opens up possibilities with the miraculous. He opens up possibilities with the miraculous. Watch the miracle in this possibility he goes back the seventh time when he goes back the seventh time says the text he says behold a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up out of the sea now watch this it's miraculous because how can you see a man's hand it's symbolic it's metaphorical, but how do you see the symbol of a man's hand and you're on top of the mountain at sea level? You're not getting it. You missed it. Let me try it for you one more time. How do you see a cloud in the image of a man's hand? You're on top of the mountain at sea level. Here comes another P. Maybe he didn't see it as you and I think he saw it. Maybe God was engaging him to picture the cloud coming up. It's called imagination. It's called imagery. It's called visualization. Maybe the servant realized what I see is so small, but at least I see something that looks like hope 
coming up out of the sea. Y'all miss it, that's your shouting point. Because sometimes you don't get to see the grandeur of things because you haven't yet learned to appreciate the small thing that God lets you see in the process. I thought y'all was gonna shout on that because you come to recognize I need to praise God for the little stuff. I can't celebrate the hundred until I appreciate the dollar. I can't celebrate the big thing until I appreciate the small thing. And God says through this servant, can you see the smallness when you can't see nothing? Picture. See what you don't see in the midst of that. And if you've ever had to survive in that cancer run, you had to see yourself coming out of the chemotherapy, coming out of the radiation, coming out of all of the treatment. You had to see yourself getting beyond all of those conditions and believing that the best is yet to come and believing that today might be a dark day, but tomorrow. His conversation was, I don't see anything. Looked how God shifted it. Now I see something. It's small, but it's a change. It's something different. Why? Here's another P. Because God is going to honor his promise. Chapter 18, verse 1, remember when God tells Elijah that I want you to go and show yourself to Ahab, and then he tells him, for I will send the rain on the earth. And he's fulfilling his promise. He's sending rain. How do we know that? Look at the text. For verse 44, clause B says, Ahab, Elijah says to his servant, tell Ahab, get your chariot together and go down so that the heavy rains will not stop you. Elijah, here's another P, here's another P, is telling Ahab, when you don't see nothing, prophesy. Look at your condition and don't permit what you see to have the last word. Prophesy by utilizing Psalm 118 verse 17. And you look at it and you say, I will not die, but I will live to tell of the works of the Lord. One translation said, I refuse to let this beat me, but I'm going to live so I can testify of how good God has been one more time. When you don't see it, prophesy. I know I don't see it right now, but the rain is coming. And Elijah said, get ready, Ahab, get in your chariot, go to Jezreel because the rain is coming. And I don't want you to get stopped by the rain because the downpour is going to be so strong that I want you to be able to make it and then be able to come back and look back and see how the Lord brought you over many dangers, toils, and snares and how he brought you through some dangerous journeys in life there ought to be some witnesses in here today who can testify that when they look back they saw the rain and at the moment they couldn't see it coming but as they look back now they can see the storm clouds were gathering and God opened up the windows of heaven 
All right, I'm about done now because y'all ain't working with me. So here's my last point. Here's my last P. When Elijah says, prophesies, watch what God does. He not only prophesied, but the prophecy came to pass. Look, if you will, at verse 45. So in about a little while, says the text, now, let's semantically examine that because if it means in a little while, that means, once again, time. And in the process of time, God is doing two things. Stretching the patience and the perseverance of the servant, but also stretching the soon-to-be faith of Ahab. In a little while, God is going to do what God promised to do in your context, but in the meantime, he's stretching you. And he's stretching you so you can see how God is working to increase your visualization of what you don't see by A, picturing victory in your life. We call it in contemporary language, attitude. How you see yourself, how you see the condition if you see yourself in a downtrodden space or do you see yourself victorious in coming out and no matter how dark the cloud is, I see the sun peeping through the cloud because the storm is almost gone. He's increasing, stretching my picture visualization and stretching my intentionality of prophesying over what I see because I refuse to let what I see get the best of me and defeat me so I'm using the words in my mouth says Jesus which compose of both life and death and I'm speaking life or what appears to be death in my situation he's stretching me to increase my perseverance because I have to come to learn and understand everything ain't gonna happen overnight so I gotta learn how to hang out and hang on to God until my change come. He's stretching my patience to help me realize that God's got it all under control and I gotta trust in the Lord when I can't trace what God is doing and he's stretching me to remember that no matter what I do I can't panic in this thing. I've got to go to God in prayer and let prayer be my motivating factor every single day. When my possibilities come to play because I've positioned myself, look how God rewards Elijah. The storm is there. The cloud is hanging over. Look at the text. And the text says the sky grew black with clouds and winds, and there was a heavy rain shower. And Ahab made his journey to Jezreel. But that ain't the shouting point. The next verse, verse 46 says, and the Lord with his hand was on Elijah, and Elijah tucked up his garment and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now it's miraculous because under normal circumstances he can't outrun a horse and chariot. 
And yet God, because Elijah was faithful in prayer, because Elijah was patient, Elijah persevered, Elijah knew that God had a process and out of that process comes possibilities and those possibilities grow because Elijah had picturesque ideas in teaching his servant how to watch and see what you can't see. God rewarded Elijah with incredible power, there's my, my final P, to be able to outrun the chariot on his way to Jezreel because God is saying when I bless you can't nobody stop you from running around that place and for rejoicing when you recognize if it had not been for God on my side who made what appears to be impossible possible which is the reason why I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me so Elijah says, and I'm done, when you don't see nothing in your situation, employ the strategy, walk through the peas, and watch how God gets you through. Here it is, before you know it, you'll be coming out when you look back and thought you'd never get out. You'd be coming through and here's the shining point, and you'd come through far more quicker than what you ever thought. You thought you'd be in that place for a long time, and here you are on the other side of through because God has opened up the windows of heaven and given you unusual power to get beyond. So much so that they have no idea, friends, family, co-workers, what you've been going through. Because God, in his own providential way, takes his hand and paints your face where can't nobody see your challenges or your pressures. And when they look at you, they say, well, I, I can't believe you've been through all of that. And you can smile back. I know, because greater is he that is on the inside of me than he that's in the world. I know I should have lost my mind. I should have had a nervous breakdown. I should have entered into depression. I should have fell out. But the God that I serve just wouldn't let me do that. I, I just refused to give up. Because I decided I'm not going to die. But I'm going to live. So that I can testify about the goodness of the Lord one more time come on let's give God some praise in this house God's been so good to us let's stand and let's give God glory and testify father I thank you for all of your goodness and for all of your faithfulness and for all of your provision come on give him some praise give him some glory give him some honor give him some thanksgiving The keeper of life, the provision of life, we give minimal appreciation to. We will attend a concert and just go crazy, lose our minds. Go to a sports event and jump all up and down, popcorn going all over the place. We'll just give all kind of celebration. Neither of which 
gave you a job, was with you in surgery, opened the door for you, connected you with people that you would need. Neither did any of that. And the very God who made it possible for us, we entered into this space, we dismissed the language of the psalmist, enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. So let me pose a question. You mean to tell me you gotta have somebody to help you praise God? Because that's what we have deduced worship to. Somebody gotta help me. I need a praise team to prompt me to help me introduce myself to praise. Really? Is that what you need? Then maybe you might need to stop your mind for a moment and rewind. Because that's the prompter to me. If I just rewind and start thinking about how God's good had God's been for the last 24 hours. That ought to be enough to make this place roar with thanksgiving. How do we limp into worship? With a silent voice. How do, how do we do that? One reason why you don't see anything because you have no expectation. Maybe God is telling us through Elijah as he looks at this servant to look for the cloud, what do you see? Nothing. Why don't you see something? Why don't you see what you don't see? I don't see it yet. I know you don't. But can you visualize? Can you use your imagination? Can you dream? We made that such a bad word in church. Dream. Everything is a dream. Pretty much everything we got in this world was somebody's dream. This microphone was a dream. This podium was a dream. This structure was a dream. The clothes we have was someone's vision, someone's dream. Why can't we dream in church about life? About it being better than what it is. So what you got problems? Everybody got problems. That's a part of life. But can you dream beyond that and see, can you see the cloud no more than a man's hand in the storm? Because the cloud represented hope. You got any hope this afternoon? Do you really have any hope? Do you really have any anticipation of God? I don't know y'all haven't convinced me. I mean, I'm not much to convince, but I kind of wonder. When we mentioned that this, and it's this, this approach quick, this approach quick, I didn't realize we were, on, we were on revival and Zion Day so quick. I looked up and here it is, it's here. But when we were listening to Sister Christine tell us that Friday is revival night and Sunday is Zion Day, you couldn't see it because you're looking up here. But I could see it because I'm looking out there. You know what your response was? And? And? 
Is that what that is to us? Just another event? Another ritual? Revival is about restoration. It's about rebuilding. Elijah at Mount Carmel rebuilt that altar. Remember I told you about that last week? He rebuilt an altar that was torn down by the false gods. Maybe the altars in your life has been torn down by other stuff. And at revival, God wants to rebuild it so you'll have fire. Zion Day is a testimony day. That's all it is. It's a birthday for the church that every year for the last 127 years, we've been favored. Do you not realize all across this country, there are churches who are folding, who are locking the doors, selling the property, joining with other churches because there is no more presence in the fellowship. Somehow it's lost purpose and it can't reach the people so it has to fold up and here we are at 128 years and all we can do is just say and So, as God ignited and did something through Elijah to convince Ahab, you on the wrong track, bruh. I'm praying that God would say something to us Friday and Sunday. Bring your family members, bring your friends, bring them bad folk that you know ain't been to church in 30 years. Come on, man, you need, you need to come, come to church this one time and prophesy. I bet you it'll change your life because your job is not to change them but to throw a seed and when you throw the seed you're not responsible for the kind of soil that it'll fall in God will handle that you just throw the seed and in due season God will do what God does come on I want every high every head bowed every eye closed every heart lifted every mind thinking about visualizing victory visualizing I see the cloud I see something now rising up from the sea the size of a man's hand I call it hope I call it faith I call it trust I call it breakthrough name it whatever you want to name it but see it arising in your life right now father in Jesus name change perceptions in this building change perceptions God that they will no longer see it in a dark empty purposeless way but they'll see it victoriously and help them believe that something is about to change, something about to happen, something's about to explode, something magnificent is about to come down the pike for their life, and they'll never be the same. They can outrun what appears to be natural in the supernatural, because they'll realize it couldn't have not been anybody but you. Save that soul, Lord, that calls on your name today. Salvation is our greatest gift. And so, Lord, somebody that needs you today, needs your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, make this day the beginning of a new day for them. We'll give you the glory. 
Help us, Lord, as a church family, open our eyes to see the great possibilities that you have in store for us. If we can only believe, in the name of Jesus, we pray. I open the doors of the church. If there's somebody in this place today, you might want to come by letter, by baptism, by Christian experience. I don't know how your experience is, but this is a moment in which maybe the Lord is speaking to you.